an extravaganza. We've got the NFL Draft Preview, and this is something we've never done before. I'm very excited about it. We're going to get right to it because there's a lot to do, and it's the following. We are going to, as we just have, flip on the mics, and we did about two, about three hours of prep. Forget all the prep we've done on the draft before that, just for this show, and this is what we're going to do. We are going to make the first ever pregame.com mock draft Put it out there tomorrow, Thursday, when you hear this, you'll be able to see the 32, but this is going to be literally a live recording. It's being recorded live. You're listening to the recording of us doing it. Fez has his ideas. I've got mine. Even McKenzie's got a few. And here's how we're going to do it. We've got the over-unders for the players themselves. This is what... In, the guys at PFF on the gambling side or the betting pod, uh, they called it a market-implied mock draft. And that got interesting to me. I heard that phrase. Because the theory is, okay, does this guy go fourth or fifth? And it's like, okay, what's the market say? Well, the market says he's over under four and a half, but towards the – what we're going to do is say earlier or later, not over or under, earlier or later. Obviously, earlier is under, later is over. But I just think earlier or later makes more sense. So we might slip and say over or under. But in this case, if the earlier was minus 170, the market implies he's going forth. Now, if it was as easy as that, just everyone's got an over or under. Which, but then there's a lot of times that's not going to tell the whole story or it's going to tell a very smidgy, like, ah, it's minus 121 way. So now what do we do? The other factor, and we've got a couple other factors, is we went back and did some history and found the most successful mock drafters. So who, who's on that list? Benjamin Albright. Walter Football, which I've been a fan of for years, but it's actually the guy, Charlie Campbell there, has a little better record, at least from what we can see. A guy named Forrest Long, Kevin Hansen, and Ryan McChrystal. Okay. And we got Daniel Jeremiah. Those are the guys, and I think Jeremiah is going to go in the media list. So he'll be the first on the media list, and this is on that list. Albert Breer, Peter Schrager, and then this guy kind of is, uh, we'll call him the wise guy guy, Evan Silva, who does fantasy, is quite sharp in a lot of ways, and maybe in many ways, but I hear him, and I think he's sharp in many of the ways I hear him, and it strikes me he's got a history, at least one year he had a monster year, so I think he's not going to be as much consensus, but if he's out of left field with something, it's going to be noteworthy. Okay, so now in a way we're going to have two, three consensuses in counting. One's going to be what the market says over unders, and also other things like how many running backs go in the first round. Well, if we're at the point we're putting a second running back in, maybe that's a mistake if it's the over unders a half, right? So we got the market consensus, which isn't just the over unders, but it's the ancillary markets, maybe we'll call it. We've got the uh, documented experts. We've got the media insiders. And I think that insider is an important point because one of the tiebreakers we're going to use is, is one of the insiders just way off from the consensus 
because oftentimes those are the ones that are information driven, information driven, whereas they got a, a source in the building. And that's more important than any of this if you got that. We have even more than that, though. We've got the ESPN staff mock. Now, what does that mean? It means there's 32 people being paid to know each of these people one thing, that team. The Steelers have a guy that spends all day on that team. You don't think he's got contacts? So that's going to be part of it. And then finally, there was a place called NFL Mock Draft Database that actually does a amalgamation, I guess, or maybe an aggregation of all the mocks and kind of, you know, I don't even know if they wait. It doesn't seem like they do. Let's say they got 20 people. It's like, what's the override? This guy's first. You know, Tre you know Trevor Lawrence can be first. For example, he's 100% as the first pick. Zach Wilson is somehow McKenzie figured out exactly how to print it. So Zach Wilson's popularity is, is obscured. 98%. How'd you do that? I printed straight off the website. I I'm, figured. I'm really I, I mean, no chance you'd actually look to make sure the line breaks looked right. <laughs> this guy. All right. And then, for example, now here's what's interesting. Mac Jones is 45%. Now, that puts him first for third, but it's only less than half the people. That's interesting. But then we figured, you know what's really going to be interesting? Let's look at this same thing two weeks ago. So, for example, two weeks ago, Trevor Lawrence was first. Zach Wilson was second with an uncertain percentage. And then third was Mac Jones, but he was at 44%. So you could say, okay, not really much adjustment. But if you look at the all-time, Mac Jones was 15th. Now, we don't care about that as much, but it shows you this is evolving over time. So we're going to say anything that was a move between last week and this week, we're going to count that a higher confidence because that's a, a, that's a sign of a surge which could be information-based. You agree with that, Fez? Very much. Right. And I think if there's one thing that I've learned in my limited time betting the draft, Vegas didn't used to let you bet the draft just a few years ago, is that the surge, as you said, the big line moves, very predictive, not always, but very predictive in general in terms of um, the directions, whether players rising or falling. I'm getting fueled up here, Coke Zero. Now, I think Fez is right, and here's why. It's not just, oh, I like the sound of that. I have a visceral reaction to soda. I love soda. But Coke Zero is perfect because I used to, I, I hated Diet Coke, but I didn't want 150 calories of crack, right? So I would drink Diet Coke, but it would be like I'd, I'd like make faces. Coke Zero, I like better than full sugar Coca-Cola now. I've, I've been weaned, I guess, onto it, but... It has zero calories. I get it. There's, you know, I don't think it has aspartame, but it's, you know, not great. But I figure odds of me dying of natural causes. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. It was a great line. We got to get to it. But you, ever, you probably haven't seen this movie. Havana. No. So Havana was actually a remake of Casablanca, but it was set in Cuba. And Robert Redford played the main character. And it was based around a poker game. So Redford was like this dude. I mean, this was maybe in the late 80s that had played. He has a great line. He goes, every hand I've ever played at every VFW 
You know, he's like, and it's like t that night was going to be the culmination of all that because finding a big game was the big deal. And Havana was at the time, it, I guess it would have been like Godfather 2 where it was when uh, Batista was getting overthrown by Castro. It was when it was set, right? Mm -hmm. So you see in Godfather 2 when I know it was you, Fredo, that, yeah. So, but he has a scene in the back of a car where he's talking about that, the VFWs, and he said, you know what dawned on me? I'm not going to die young. And it was like, and his thought was, okay, now what? And, you know, it was very, it, the movie wasn't all that good, to be honest. I guess Casablanca is hard to do. But that scene and his whole mentality was very interesting as a, from a gambling perspective. But what we know is, I think we're going to come up with something very interesting here. I think it's going to be very predictive. And I think we're going to get five to seven bets out of it. Because here's the thing, last point. Let's say the market says one thing and everything else says the other. My guess is the answer is somewhere in between. And my guess is that the biggest of those spreads are going to be good bets against the market because the market isn't hyper liquid or the liquidity isn't great. There, you know, you've bet how many props, Fess? 21. And you've got a best bet for us tonight. I do. I think I'm going to have you give three bets today. Because yeah, your 21 or whatever is available, um, you know, for the for all-access subscribers. But you've been kind of falling short recently. I mean, just what people are saying. And, and I think you should triple up with your bets just to say, I want to give back. I, I want to try to catch up a little bit. What do you think? I like it. So you admit you've been falling short. Uh, then if not, why capitulate to what I said? I didn't deny. Mm. <laughs> so the it's a powerful concept because typically we think the market is the most predictive thing there is. And that's why betting against a minus 110 is tough to overcome. That's why most people lose. Usually you're going to have an insight that's personal, that you got insight where you think you know more than the market. To gather publicly available information and know more in the market is tough. The reason I think we can here is because there's disparate sources of info, meaning it's not just a bunch of mock draft people. It's looking at them from, from an information perspective, a directional perspective, a expert perspective. And with each of those together, maybe in an illiquid market is better than the market. But when we come up with our mock, the market's going to have a big say in it. So we're going to both be coming up with the most accurate mock. And also, we're going to be trying to find bets when the spread between the market and everything else is significant. Well, we're going to start off real easy here. We know Trevor Lawrence is going one. Fez, if you wanted to do the bridge jumper, what, what do you see as the best number or a reasonable number out there? Risk 100 to win a dollar. And I actually think it's a pretty good bet. How would you execute it? I would take your normal bet size. I wouldn't go crazy on this. So let's say you normally bet $100 a game. I'd risk the 100 to win the dollar. Okay. Now, to what end? If you're winning one hundredth of a unit, it doesn't really matter. Fair. That's a great point. So the theory is you want to win, let's say, half a unit. So you got to bet 500 you know, to, or I guess you're saying it's a $100 unit. So if you bet 
a ten percent. If you want to make a tenth of a unit, you got to bet a thousand. So ten thousand gets you a unit. Yeah, um, and that's that's clearly too much. You know what? In, in if your normal unit's a hundred, I think bet a thousand to win ten dollars, and maybe you can say ten dollars isn't even worth it because now you're getting well, you get a tenth of a unit. Okay. Yeah. I think there's more complexity beyond that. One is, are you posting up? That's a strong point. Make it. Be- because if I'm posting up, now all of a sudden, to make any money, I'm pretty much using up all my funds that I wanted to bet on the draft on one bet to make a, a crummy 1% ROI. You would hope I could do better making well, other bets. Yeah. So, But then there's people that say, well, wait a minute. If you made 1% a day, because you don't have to bet this, it's not like these odds are necessarily going to get worse, is you can bet it 10 minutes before and collect 10 minutes after. So 1% for 20 minutes of your money that sounds pretty good. Right, but I can't tie up the money on other draft bets. But, but you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Ten minutes before, you've made your bets, right? Right. Do you have any bankroll left? If you do, maybe that makes sense. I'm going to make all my investments that I think have a good rate of return on the draft. And then right before the draft's about to start, if I have money left over, I think that this is a good usage of the leftover funds to put it into this Trevor Lawrence to go number one. So you just repeated what I said. So you've changed your mind. I have. So what did you miss before? What I missed before is the question, should I invest in Trevor Lawrence? I don't know yet. I have to wait and see the funds I have available at the very end. And I don't think I need to hold them back to make a 1% ROI. If they happen to be there, great. I'll use them. It was funny. I just thought of this. That might be the best thing that a better could ever have is any money he doesn't bet in his bankroll leading up to, like, some big point of game starting, if he got 1% of that money, that'd be the worst thing for the books ever. Because when you're deciding to bet, you'd be thinking, well, there's something kind of attractive by holding it. Because most people, they when that choice is, do they bet that marginal bet or not, I think the biggest... Lo- if, if people would not bet the marginal bets, and what I always used to do when I was betting brick and mortar more, I say, if this was over at the Red Rock, or maybe it was another casino before the Red Rock, but I always thought to myself, if I had to drive a half hour, park the car, walk in, bet, come back out, drive home, you're looking at 90 minutes easy, would I make that bet? If so, I bet it. And I had, you know, uh, we had a little team out here, so it was like I wasn't doing the driving, but I'd say go, and or they'd be down there, or whatever. Okay, that raised the bar for me, because all, when all it takes is a click, I'm sure you. I mean, listen, you're a pretty disciplined better, but you bet in game, so there's small bets. Do you ever find yourself thinking you're erring towards betting too many marginal bets? That's interesting, because I don't. But my buddy that I partner up with, mm-hmm. Jared, mm-hmm. thinks I do. He says all the time, you just, you just, yeah. If you're watching a game and there's a timeout, he's like, it's almost like you, Fez, it's, it almost seems like you have to make one and bet. You, and you believe that Jared's become, uh, you know, at least as good as you at in game betting. Yeah, he's so does that. But what I'm saying is, does that then cause you to think if he's saying that, maybe you need to reexamine what you're doing? No, because no. Why would you he, do that? Because he's so nitty. He's such a nitty sports better that he's almost well, like nitty. You know, nitty came from poker players who were trying to get other people to play differently. <laughs> 
You do realize that, right? Yeah. I mean, they're trying to, like, go them into – do you think poker players who are pretty smart in, at these limits are trying to get the player to play in a way that's going to help his net result? Well, in Jared's case with mine, yes. But he's – and that's – what I'm saying is he's on your side, so he wants to help your net result. Yes. In poker, you're on opposite sides, that's right? right? And thus, their actions are based upon what? They don't tell – listen, actually, this is a, an important concept, and, and this was in the Malmuth books. If someone plays tight in poker, you want to go overboard being aggressive. You want to make it personal with that guy because then you might get him out of his game. If someone plays loose, the last thing you ever want to do is re-raise them unless it's super strong because if you punish them – for playing loose, they're going to get what? More optimal. So mm. it would lead them to be less loose. So wherever someone is in poker away from optimal, in your opinion, you should attempt to nudge them to a more extreme position, right? Interesting. So, like, if I'm beating up a guy who's nitty because I'm raising a lot, I'm not going to show cards. I'm, in fact, I'm going to show him aces when I have them. Yes. Because he's going to think, see, I was smart. I'm going to continue what I'm doing. It's interesting. Now, if a guy, now that's what's interesting. There's certain people that make, you can tell they make it ego driven. And if you think they're too loose, you do then try to go them because they'll go for, you show them a 2 7, they're not going to fold to you again. Mm. So it's a, you know, again, that's I, a really strong point that you made. Like, like when someone shows a hand, that means they're probably bluffing a whole lot. And they're like, see, I had the goods. You can trust me. Oh, shows a good hand, you man. Yes. I think it matters how smart the player is because if it is, like I see this all the time, a rocky player, like a rock, who isn't really, that's the most dangerous player, tight, aggressive, you know, like from the rounders, it's true. I think that description, you, the worst guy, you want a guy really tight or really loose. A guy that's got different gears is tough. Agree. And at the higher limits, and again, I'm saying even 5'10 today, you've got mostly players with multiple gears. But... What the thing I, I I guess the thing I think that I've seen that applies to what you said is if a guy seems rocky but he's not, he's tricky, but he's he's with a rock next to a rock. When he raises and that guy folds, he'll just show him almost like brothers in arms. Like yeah, I had it. And you know people he'll show it so everyone can see it, but he's really doing a favor to the guy. This and he's really saying to him, "Don't worry, keep doing what you're doing." <laughs> but it feels like that the other rock is saying, "See, sometimes you just gotta let it go." And it actually works at both levels, where it, it does calm that. And again, that's a savvy guy. You see someone make that move, you figure it's tough. Now I'll say this: I've never bragged about my poker play, but I think the following: I'm one of the ten best poker players. In the world, in a bad game. <laughs> Meaning you put me in the 510 at the Bellagio at 2.30 in the morning. I'm going to extract more money from that game. If, if, if there's two, like one drunk guy, one bad hometown guy, if the money's flowing, I'm telling you something, dude. I don't think, I think I'm in, I'm there with, I don't know how Doyle is. I'm guessing he was pretty good. But what I'm saying is I just, the psychology of it, I guess I've always said I'm probably the dumbest smart guy. 
Like, I understand dumb people really well. I can just see R.J. Bell, like, oh like attacking what? the drunken limper, raising, isolating, oh my God. pounding the bad oh players, and avoiding the one or two pros and just annihilating the I, bad players. It, the trick is it's you gotta get you got to get a personal rapport going with it. Or, personally, when I play, I hardly ever say a word. Like, I literally will go four hours and not say a word because it's a time for me to not talk. I get to relax and think about the game. But people get mad at that. So when they start coming back, like, you know, it's like, oh, you think, because they take it as aloofness, but, but it's not, right? At least in my case, uh, then I kind of perk out because I think, okay, because one, if you're playing a good player, like most of the time in those 510 games, and again, I don't play 510 anymore. I, I don't have, I mean, I don't play online, so I haven't played brick and mortar for, you know, over a year, but the, I, I was, not always, mostly positive EV in the games, but the average player was better than me. But the question was, was there two guys that were clearly worse? Because that's the whole game's built around that. If everyone was as good as the medium player, I wouldn't, you know, I was, I was probably maybe the sixth best player in a, uh, well, I guess nine, so, you know, fifth best player maybe in the nine-handed. But I could make a lot of money. It's just who are you going against, who are you getting it in with, and... Just to wrap this, I think that you see so many different psychologies in poker. I really do believe against, and, and, and I guess the last thing I was going to say was, if a player is better than you, you're always going to have trouble interacting with him. He's just better. So what do you, I mean, let's be candid. There's a reason pros, or they used to at least more, wear glasses, hoods, mm -hmm. and actually serious pros who don't, will say they think it's a big, it's unfair. So whenever, the, you know, when I, you've heard that, well, you don't really play brick and mortar, but the, what they'll say is, you know, when you hear the guys that don't do it say they think they have an unfair disadvantage, that's a sign they think it was working, right? Because mm -hmm. in theory, if they're staring at you, I mean, you ever see a poker player play that's good that doesn't look at the other player? So that means no. looking at them means you could gather information. Well, wouldn't it make sense that the player that's trying to have information gathered upon him or from him would want to try to obscure that view as much as possible. Sure. So that's the more you talk, you know, I mean, Jamie gold, let's give the guy credit. His talking is the only reason he won when he did. Right. And he wasn't a great theoretical player, but he got people. And if someone had said nothing to Jamie gold, he would, you know, if no one had said a word to him, then what? So in a way, to say no by not, but to not participate. What's the famous line? What is the optimal bet if you have a negative EV? Zero. Well, what am I gaining from talking to a guy that's trying to read me? <laughs> Nothing. So I, was, I would never say a word, even if they tried. But then there'd be certain guys I thought weren't good, but they wanted to talk. Oh, that was trouble sure. for them. Because <laughs> then I could open up a little bit. All right. So... I guess that final point is just a fascinating one, is the idea that if everyone could get a 1% return on their bankroll that wasn't in action at the end of the day, let's say, that would affect gambling to the player's benefit so much more than the 1%. Like, even if that money was then taken away by the government at mm. the end, because the threshold to make a bet psychologically would go up, and most people bet too many games. Yes. What do you think? 
it's uh, it's crazy that it could be that simple that I could say, hey, all the, the whole world can make another one percent ROI. It doesn't come up very often, but here's a situation where it does. So just to reiterate, is my theory is this: if everyone, like right now, we just said, hey, if you look at this bet with Trevor Lawrence, that potentially, if you don't have to worry about posting up more money, right? The theory is you posted up already, and so you have an account balance. And then if you're offered 100 wins you won, are the odds better or worse than 99% that Trevor Lawrence goes first? You think the odds are better. Thus, laying 100 to win one, you think is positive EV. Yes. The question is, uh, how do you execute on that? And as we've talked it through and you heard, if you have money posted up already, and thus you have to worry about the post up, and it's positive EV, why not? Let's say you got 300 in there. Why not bet 300 and then 20 minutes later have 303? Why not? Okay. But then as I thought about it, it's like, wow, if you had an incentive not to bet that 1%, because every bet, the theory is it would say, whatever you didn't bet that day, you get 1% on. If that was some uh, promotion that a sports book did, I think it would benefit the betters far more than the 1% because there'd be an incentive not to bet. Every bet they make would be you're choosing this over 1%. Now, most bettors say they have an ROI of 10% or whatever, so they're going to bet the ones that they like, but those marginal bets, the ones that Jared say you're making, let's say when you're just watching a game, if you had a what, if, if it could be bet this and win or lose or take 1% on this, you wouldn't bet near as many, would you? That's strong. No, I wouldn't. I would basically say, let me just keep it in the in the fezzy piggy bank because I know at the end of the at, at the end of the day, I'm going to get a one percent. But on a lot of your bets, you think you have far better than a one percent ROI. So you'd rather bet it, right? Yes. It's just by right now, there's no incentive not to bet. In fact, that being in the account just says bet it, and I think I think that probably, you know, I've never thought of these numbers. But they say 3% three of bettors win long-term in sports betting is the number you hear. I bet 30% of people could win at a lower volume. I don't know how low it would have to get. You know, it might be a couple games a month. But if God came down and said what the true ROI is, that most bettors are going to have, you know, probably... I See, I'm not saying ROI is in, like, you could cherry-pick them because God, you know, I'm saying... Of bet types or what, you know, and I get, I'm not even sure how God, I guess that's why he's God, right? But in general, if you stack ranked the ROI of your bets, if, if you can know exactly what they were, there's going to be a cutoff where there's a substantial number of bets that are actually positive EV beyond random. I guess that's what I'm trying to fight against because if you just randomly pick games, you're going to find some good ones. But I think through rhyme and reason, there's a lot of bettors that would win if they just only bet this. Maybe it's just one sport. Right? I'm a big believer that smart people that know sports, if they just looked at the uh, Mountain West Conference and that's all they did, they'd probably be pretty good at it, you know? Yeah, because the specialization, boom, there's going to be that Mountain West game where UNLV's two best players get ruled out five minutes before and you just happen to be listening to the pregame show, get that information. It's not even widely available. And then the light bulb goes on, I'm only allowed to make one bet a month. This should be it. Yeah. Though it wouldn't be one bet a month, it's, it's, it's rather there's an incentive to not bet. Just the act of the incentive not to bet would lower the volume, I think, greatly. And I think volume is part of the problem with most bettors. 
Now, Mackenzie put this up. I'm reading it without editorial uh, filtering. Albert Einstein said, oh, you're starting out okay. The most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. You sure that wasn't Warren Buffett? <laughs> um, not according to Google. Look up Warren Buffett and compound interest. See what he says. 1%, maybe Buffett cribbed it. Fancy, you, that'd be a good company. 1% for 20 minutes is huge. Now, Einstein said that? No, that's my oh, editorialization. Okay, but you have it all in the same color. Yes. Mm -hmm. So him and Einstein. Okay, <laughs> we got that connection. I mean, really, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, and think about all the things they do to try to get you incentive to bet with credits and promos and everything they're trying to do is get you to bet more. If there was an incentive to bet less, it seems like it'd be perfect. So almost you're saying they're like cockroaches. Almost. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're not saying it necessarily. Anything else, Mackenzie? Nope. You sure? I want you to feel free. I mean, we, we want as much as we can. I mean, listen, if there's anything the feedback tells us, it's less. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, you know, listen. I'm a lotto, an albino, a mosquito, my libido. So pick number one, Albert Einstein selects Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> number two. What's the best? I mean, we're going, obviously, Zach Wilson. What's the best odds? And, you know, as we're getting those, something to think about is I really don't understand the Zach Wilson so much, meaning the following. He had a hell of a season. If you look back to last season, there was real questions if he was even going to be the starting quarterback. Like, coming into this year, you read that they were unsure about Zach Wilson finishing the year meaning he was so disappointing the prior year. This year was unlike any other year. So you could throw, you know, throw it out, but you want to you um, maybe decrease your emphasis on it. You want to downgrade your opinions on it as not as predictive. It doesn't tell you as much. The context is different. And then you add in the level of competition. Now, listen, BYU played great, and BYU... Uh, tried their best to get games. It doesn't change. We're not talking about someone being blamed here. We're saying the guy he played against overmatched competition in almost every case. So if you have one good year, and the prior year wasn't no info, but it was not good, because that's, that's the difference. Someone shows up out of left field, you've never seen him before, and he plays poker like a champion, you might say, let's see how he does over a, a longer sample size. But that guy's very different than a guy you've seen play like crap before, then show up and play good. Now you're thinking, you see, you, you, the chance of that being luck goes way up if there's, if there's no bad behind it. Now, if the behind it was good, so think of the three scenarios. Junior year, good. Senior year, good. No junior year, good. Senior year versus bad, good. That's a huge difference. And the worst is obviously bad, good. I mean, bad, bad's the worst, but we don't talk about them for the draft. <laughs> So I think it's a perfect storm where they're trusting the tape and not the results because the results are telling you he's had one good year and it was against, you know, bad competition. Any thoughts on this? Oh, what's our numbers? You have to bet 50 to make a dollar. Okay. I think the Trevor Lawrence is much more than doubly likely. I agree. It feels like the Trevor Lawrence is a 99.99% .99 bet. 
whereas the Wilson bet feels like eh, maybe 98.5%, right? So if I gave you 5000 to win one but no post-up, how much would you bet? <sighs> if I wasn't going to bet anything else. No, no. That's you don't have to post up, so it doesn't matter. It, it, no, it doesn't, right? It shouldn't. Okay, so how much? You want 100000 to win five? No. So you don't think, because I just got in half the odds, <laughs> meaning I, you got, like, in theory, I'm, I'm a, you're assuming it's double the chances, I'm saying. Yes. And you're saying, no, thank you. So I said it, but clearly <laughs> I'm not backing it up. But I, I tell you what, I, will, I would be willing to bet 500 to win a dollar. But that's not what we're talking about. I know. So maybe I exaggerated with one decimal point too much. <laughs> All right, number three. Now this gets interesting. Mac Jones. You know what? We're going to keep this one simple, too. The market strongly points in that direction. Uh, what's the current market price for us? So a Mac Jones, you can lay minus 250 is the best number that I see out there. Minus 275s are out there as well. So in general, let's go with consensus. So minus 275, yeah. And we call that a sharp consensus because what we do is we replicate usually three outs, three representative outs, and take the best number. Because let's be honest, if you don't have three outs, it's going to be hard to win. If you don't take the best number, it's going to be hard to win if you have the three outs. Now, if we look at our ESPN staff, they've got Mac Jones. You look at the overall, we already addressed the odds, so we got that. Um, I'm going to take a quick gander through these guys, and we can see if, who's disagreeing. One second. Okay, looking through here. Albright has Trey Lance. Forrest Long has Trey Lance. Pretty much everyone else has Mac Jones. 44%, as we said. Oh, I guess that was two weeks ago. So it was 44% in the consensus, and now it is 45%. What I, you know, it's interesting. If someone gave me plus one, so you're saying minus 275, huh? And so you can bet, right? But they're not just giving Mac Jones versus the field anywhere. Because in theory, I could get, what, plus 210? If they offered that, that'd be the right straddle? Yeah. But, I'm, but I haven't seen, you can, they only are offering Trey Lance. They're not offering the field. Well, they're usually offering other people but Trey Lance, just not the yes. field. So I guess you could replicate that in a way by, you know, how much you bet on each, you know, you, just so, but... My sense is this might have gotten a little high. I felt like Schefter was backtracking and on Wednesday morning on Get Up because well, he was the source of a lot of this. Mm. I don't know. Mackenzie's got a theory. Now, remember, this is, you know, we checked this out, 23andMe. He is first cousins with Kyle Shanahan and his Uncle Mike. Now, think about Mackenzie going, hey, Uncle Mike, who you taking? You got a theory. I do. I've heard this expression over and over again the past week. All signs point to Mac Jones. I don't know why there are signs. I don't. That doesn't. That phrase doesn't make any sense to me. If anything, I just go back to my gut, which is Trey Lance is expe especially good at play action. If the Shanahan's do one thing consistently over thirty years, it's play action. Right, so I think it's going to be Trey so Lance. So we're, we're going to you, first cousin of Kyle Shanahan. And you're saying in my gut, so that's code. You have no freaking idea. You know, if it, if it was my Mike, if it was my uncle coaching, I probably would ask him. I just know him a little bit. No, better. I'm not but. asking you to ask him. I never said. Listen, let me ask you a question. 
Have I asked you one time to do anything with the Shanahan's? No. Because that's would be unfair to you. Now, if somehow you had a scenario that you approached me with, I would listen out of respect. Mm. You follow? <laughs> but I wouldn't uh, push it. Until I was about to fire you, then I'd give you a chance to save your job. But that's it. Okay. All right. Um, the signs are that the insiders of the 49ers told Adam Schefter. Isn't that a sign? Yes, and Adam Schefter is as close to anyone yeah. on a personal level uh, to the Shanahan And that's family. why he's backtracking today worried me a little bit. Mm. But Colin actually made a great point. I think he's been way off on a lot of this draft. But he said, if you... Now, he never got to the point I made, which was this helps. Because think about this. Imagine if we had no idea it was Mac Jones, meaning that there was no leaks. How shocked would the world be? At the, what would it be? Justin Fields would be like minus 180, right? Yep. Uh, Trey Lance would be, I don't know, plus 130. You know, it'd be... Uh, Mac Jones would be like seven to one, eight to one, right? Yes. If there was no leaks at all. And then they walk up and they say, first pick in the, you know, third pick in the NFL draft, San Francisco takes Mac Jones. It would be the, the headline in every newspaper sports page. But by getting it out early, it mutes it. It's like the energy, it's almost like opening up a bottle that has carbonation in just a little and a little more. And finally, it's flat. They're flattening this out. That's something I saw from the start, why they let it out. But Colin made a good point today. He said if they make it seem like there wasn't even a debate, that this was so obvious, it ramps up how stupid they're going to look if they're wrong because there's a, a chance they're wrong. By saying they've, they started with Mac Jones and they reevaluated it and they're thinking Lance maybe, but they're still leaning Jones. They pick Jones. It's still the air's out of the tire. You know, the air's out of the carbonation. But it doesn't now. If they were wrong, it was like, man, that was a close call. As opposed to why? Why make your bet bigger than it needs to be? I think there's a lot of truth to that, which actually makes me like Mac Jones because I, all this stuff I'm feeling now that's making me question it feels maybe like it was orchestrated. To make it seem like it's a, excuse me, a closer decision than it really is. You know that's strong. I hadn't even thought about that. That even you haven't thought about that, huh? <laughs> oh, you're the, you're, you know, you're. you're well, no, no, I'm just saying. You're, you you're the it. king at this, and I'm like gullible. Um, but it does. It's it, if they if it's a complete misread and Mac Jones is a disaster, then if if San Fran comes across as oh, it was obvious that Mac Mac Jones was so much the clear cut pick, you they look foolish. Yes. Had a reiteration, Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. Now it gets interesting. But does it? Now, we're not doing any trades. I don't even know how to do trades. But when we grade ourselves, we're going to grade ourselves against the slot. So if someone moves up here and picks someone, if, the, if it's the same pick, we're great. Chances are if they trade, we're screwed because people are going to trade up for quarterbacks. I don't know how else to do it. Kyle Pitts. I mean... We can debate this, but is there any reason? I mean, they got the odds on the number four pick. Let's just let that guide us. What do we got? Yeah, so Kyle Pitts is minus 150, mm -hmm. the favorite. Uh, then Trey Lance, plus 250. Justin Fields, 270. Then all the way down, Chase, so we're 16 picking, to 1. We're pick, if it was a debate between Kyle Pitts or the field, it might be a debate, though. But since we'd have to pick someone else there, it's Kyle Pitts. Absolutely. It's keep moving. Now, this gets interesting. The Bengals. They don't trade, typically. 
It's Jamar Chase versus Sewell, I think, right? Yes. What's the odds, Towers? So I have to look at the individual players because I don't have the odds on the fifth player selected. Whatever you need to do. Right, right, right. So if I take a look at Chase, his over-under right now, 6.5, under minus 240. If I take a look at Sewell, his over-under, 5.5, under minus 185. So Sewell still um, looks to be the slight favorite, but I can tell you. Well, hold on a second. So it's one slot down, but how many cents different? Under 6.5 minus 240, under 5.5 minus 185. Okay. So how much is that slot worth? And is that even the way to think about it? Because if this, if number six might not be in the market for a tackle, but... So Chase and Sewell are both over-unders aligned right around six. Now, Sewell's lined at five and a half, but his over is a big favorite, minus 185. Chase is lined at six and a half, but his under is favorite at minus 240. So if you adjust for that VIG... So really, if we're just looking at the over-under... You're saying the market's saying about equal. Yes. Okay. Now, Mackenzie, have you seen anywhere where it has the number five pick up as the market on that? I have not seen that, no. Okay. So now we're going to go through and try to figure this stuff out. So do some tallying here. Feds, you can actually do this. Tally this up. I'm going to read our experts. Our experts here, we got Chase. We've got Sewell. We've got Sewell. We've got... Chase, mm-hmm. we've got, this is the last one, Chase. So what's our tally so far? Chase, three to two. Okay, now let's look at the ESPN staff. They got Chase. Okay. We talked about the over-unders. Now we want to see the mock. The consensus has Chase at 60%. And two weeks ago... It was 51%. I mean, I think we go Chase, right? Absolutely. It's an interesting question. If you were assessing how good these two players were in the Bengals, and let's say you thought uh, Sewell was a little bit better, but now, for what you know, whatever the rationale, Joe Burrow says, I really want Chase. How much for the team's winning long-term – how much do you account for what Joe Burrow wants? It has to be worth more than zero. Because even if he's wrong, if it makes him more inclined to resign with you, that's more important than any decision, that marginal difference. Sure. Yeah, and see. also you have the situation where Sewell might be the slightly better player than Chase, but because Burrow played with Chase, Burrow will make Chase the, a better wide receiver than any other quarterback in the league because of their past history. Mm, it's like there's a, a boost from their – yeah, that's interesting. All right. So, but we are going to go in the pregame.com inaugural mock with Chase. Okay, so we have Miami number six. Here's the picks. Fez, you can tally this up. We got Waddle. Now, Pitts is picked, but he's already picked for us. Fields – is picked. Miami taking field. That was a trade. Chase and then Smith. That's our experts. Okay, so Chase has already been picked from us. So really amongst the experts, it's Waddle or Smith, the two receivers. Yes. We have a market 
of who goes first between Waddle and Smith, right? We do. And although five days ago this was a pick 'em, uh-huh. now Waddle's a significant favorite right around minus 220. Okay. So that's telling me we can't pick Smith over Waddle, right? Right. Okay. Now let's look at the media guys and then we're going to read them because we'll see if they have any insight. All right. So Schrager says Chase. He's already gone in our theory. Dolphins know they don't need a QB. Well, I don't know about that. Traded back, blah, blah, blah. If Kyle Pitts and Soar both off the board. All right, now this is interesting. Miami opts to stay put. Chase will be the choice. So that says, so in our theory, Sewell's still on the board, right? Yes. Okay. So the next question is, who has Sewell going later amongst our experts? So Albright has him seventh. Uh, Long had him picked before. Okay. Hanson has him eighth. Had him picked before. And McChrystal has him eighth. So they're very comfortable with Sewell being available and not going here at six. So I don't want to put Sewell in the mix, really. All right, you agree with that? I do agree. All right. Now if we look at Albert Breer, he's got Waddle. All right, we look at... Mm-hmm, we got Chase from Jeremiah. And we've got Silva as Kyle Pitts, who's gone in our scenario. ESPN staff says Smith. I hate that. I hate that. But the market's too big for that. And then we're going to go with the consensus. Consensus tells us Waddle. It's Waddle. Waddle it is. You got this, McKenzie? Waddle. Got it. Now, we've done six. What do you think we should do next? Oh, seven. Next up. Now, this is interesting. Detroit's pick. Sewell. Chase, who's gone. Waddle, who's gone. Waddle, who's gone. Justin Fields, which is viable for Detroit, I guess. I mean, they could take a quarterback. All right, so, so far, we got Sewell. But keep in mind, we got Sewell eighth by two different guys. So... Chase, water, water, okay. This is not looking good. Now, let's go with the ESPN staff. They've got Sewell. So now we're starting to kind of say, okay, that's about even at that point. Well, I guess, really, it's, there's not, no alternative. So Sewell's the only one so far, And right? Sewell, remember, was lined, is lined at five and a half. The over is minus 85, but he's already slipped to seven. So there's clear value. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. yeah, I would say the, the pressure is downward. Now, the consensus says Sewell. All right? So we got the consensus and we got the ESPN expert or the ESPN team guy, the stringers we'll call him. The market says he would have gone already, but, like, it's not crazy he hasn't. And we've got, though, with the experts, we got Albright, who's very respected. But then we got two saying eighth takes him. So now I think what we got to do occasionally is go to eighth and figure out what. I think we're going to do seven and eight at once. I like Because it seems like Sewell's going to be one of them. Right? We just got to find what's the most palatable other one. Now, Justin Fields right now, the over-under on him is, and again, that would be kind of before or after. Before, seven and a half is minus 160. But, you know, that's going to be trade-driven for the most part. And I guess in theory we can predict a trade, like Carolina. But, boy, 
Maybe that's what we do. Maybe with Carolina in eight. Because Detroit feels like, well, see, Detroit could trade back too. But it doesn't feel like anyone has that. Let's look at this seven again. The only person that has a trade is McChrystal. And these all guys, they seem to be willing to take a trade. All right, last thing we need to do is let's go through the insiders here. Because I think McKenzie's got a good point. There's probably a, either seven or if the draft goes away, we said only three quarterbacks are gone, right? We first three. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if the, the, everyone who is looking for a quarterback has their choice and they get to seven, someone's going to jump. Trade up, yeah. Maybe Denver just going up a little bit. Because I don't think Denver getting Bridgewater in any way is going to stop them from wanting a quarterback. I agree. All right. So now I think we should assume we're going to put a trade in either seven or eight. My sense is my sense is Carolina is going to be more inclined to trade. The fact that Carolina is not hot on the quarterback market makes me think they're thinking, let's get some picks. So, and Detroit feels like, but see, they're on such a rebuild because of the six years. So I think what we got to do is maybe accept the fact, but really the question is, if we do a trade, do we even know what quarterback we want to go there? I guess it matters who does the trade. Yeah. Because Trey Lance is over under six and a half, and the before is even heavier. So what you're saying is the market's saying Lance goes before fields. That's right. But if he doesn't go three and you recalibrated that, are we sure that he still would be? Because the funny thing is, if you told me who's going to go first, Lance Fields or Mac Jones, I'm taking Mac Jones and betting a lot of money. Does anyone agree? Everyone agrees with that, right? Yes. But if you told me Mac Jones didn't go to the 49ers, I then make Mac Jones the lead. I would say he goes last between Lance Fields. I and agree Mac. with that. So I think if if Lance didn't have a chance to go three, and in our hypothetical, he doesn't. That, but I guess it doesn't even matter because it's not like our hypothetical is what's going to happen. Boy, this is complicated. All right. But let's go through the media here. So the media is saying, and this is uh, Jeremiah. I guess he's a draft expert, too. He's kind of a hybrid. Mackenzie cut this off again. So Denver, he's got trading up to seven. Okay. And taking Justin Fields. All right. So now we've got, this is interesting. Detroit, this might work because McChrystal has the same thing. So Fields and the Lions. And I think that six-year contract, and, and let's be candid. They're trying. It's in the best interest of these, the AD and everything. It's in their best interest to trade back. And because it makes it feel like they're delaying a, the judgment. Right. Any anytime you're able to delay judgment, that means you keep your job. Yes. All right. So now, if we look at the next media guy, oh, we got Arizona coming up for Waddle. That's not going to really help with us. And that's Schrager. If we look at our boy Silva, he's got Chase going, which we've already got him gone. He's got Justin Fields going fourth to Atlanta. Huh. I don't think with that contract they gave Matt Ryan. All right. 
We got one more here I gotta get, so that's interesting. Where did I, I got one more? Or do I only have the three media guys? I got Schrager, Jeremiah. Didn't I have one other media guy, Mackenzie? Who was it? Albert Breer. Yeah, where's Breer? I was, we were comparing Evan Silva's prior mock to this mock because we were looking at trajectory, but I actually was reading from the prior. So let me just read the first seven or eight picks so we got his, him straight here. So you got Lawrence Wilson, Jones, Pitts to Atlanta. All right, that makes sense. So we agree so far. Chase to the Bengals. I agree so far. And he's got Waddle going to Miami. So he seems smart. <laughs> But now this is the thing. This is just serendipity. He's got fields. We're going fields going in the seven slot. And then that makes eight soul. Yes. That's a no-brainer. That was easy. All right. I think uh, nine's going to be even easier. What do you got a nine? Denver needs a quarterback. Trey Lance. Of course. All right, let's do it. Because, I mean, again, now this is us winnowing down. They'd be happy. So here's where I'm going to do a little bonus best bet from me, and I'll have the gal with me today. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Best bet from me. Denver Broncos over. Their win total is seven and a half. What's the VIG look like, Fez? It's flat in each direction. Flat. And here's our rationale. Denver, if we did a power ranking, Fez, of all teams, sans quarterback, meaning the quarterbacks are not considered. They all have the same robot quarterback that's equally good. That's There's no differentiation. Where's Denver? I think Denver's seven or eight. Just let me think about this. Mm-hmm. And as he's thinking, he, now Bridgewater today, what does that do? One, I think it puts some people off the scent. I think they're thinking, oh, Bridgewater, huh? Mm. And you're right. I don't love this pick if Bridgewater is the quarterback for Denver. But I believe Bridgewater to be the basement, meaning Locke was a problem. But I didn't bet this yet because I wouldn't bet it with, that, with Locke in there. I think he's a disaster. Uh, the funny thing is he's shown flashes. I think he probably has a better chance to be a good quarterback than Sam Darnold, but I think it's both of them are long shots. But I don't want to bet a long shot to be good. when Remember, when you're betting Super Bowls and stuff, you want the extremes. When you're betting over-under, you want slow and steady, but a little better than average. Bridgewater, eh, I think a good year from him, he's the 22nd best quarterback in the league. But I don't, I'm not sure Denver doesn't go over this baby. Remember, there's 17 games. They got to go eight and nine. That's their victory. Think about that a second. They're, they're betting not only is this team going to be a losing team, they're going to be losing by more than minus one game. So I think with Bridgewater, their over-under probably should be seven and a half over 130. Right? So maybe it's as small as that. Maybe it's break even. But you get Trey Lance. You get Fields. You get any of these five quarterbacks. I don't think they're necessarily starting game one. It just is another scenario where they get hot. They surprise Justin Herbert. Surprise. Even Tua. You put Tua on Denver, their win total goes up, right? Yes. And I don't think you make much a of, compelling case. Yeah. And they got weapons, you know. They, they, got, they got more than weapons. Yeah. It's what they have. Meaning 
they might have what? The third or fourth best weapons in the league. Yeah. Right? And Jerry Judy was a little banged up last year, too. And they lost one of them for the whole second half of the year. And then now you got Vaughn Miller coming back, which you know for sure is by changing GM and getting out, out or Elway moving up a level or whatever. There's a sense of any, and let's be, Fangio's job's on the line. Mm -hmm. Fangio's got the defense covered. And the pro football focus guys made a point about uh, it was uh, Pat, what's the dude's name? He used to be the Giants coach. Shermer? Yeah, Shermer's the OC there. He's actually, they did a little bit of talk about how when he's got rookie quarterbacks, they do well. Like, they were just optimistic about what Shermer can do with a decent quarterback. So, to me, this is the anatomy of a team that surprises. Because what it's usually they're missing one piece, right? And then that injection, you realize how much. Because when's the last time Denver had a decent quarterback? Decent. Oh, my gosh. They, they had a. Think about Paxton Lynch. I mean, yeah, the ostrich. We can go down the. I'm saying, but they was Jay uh, Cutler decent in your opinion? But I mean, that was after Man or before Manning. Yeah, that's how so. long ago. That's that's the name. Well, you don't think Manning was any good? Oh, he had his moments. He's all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but I mean, I would make the case Simeon was the best quarterback they've had probably since Manning. And he went to Northwestern, so. Yeah, but beyond you trying to be funny is it's a, it's a situation. But the thing about that is he has nothing to do with his intellect, so it's, it's not a real joke, right? <laughs> if he was the GM or something, it would be a joke, right? Be a paid team. All sure. right. So, to, but I do think that Denver's the anatomy. Like, I tell you this, I think they're 12 to 1. I'm actually anti-Kansas City. I wouldn't mind sprinkling a little 12 to 1 on Denver to win the division. I think that's out there. You want to check that, Mackenzie? What you see on yeah, that? Yeah, you, you, our, our shop's consensus is fifteen to one. I'm seeing sixteen to one out there for Broncos to win AFC West. I'm gonna sprinkle a little, like maybe put three hundred on that, two hundred maybe on that. I'm, you know, I'm making a big bet on this one. What do you think, Fed? Yeah, I like it. The logic makes a ton of sense. And even I go back to like that very last game of the year when the Broncos had the Raiders beaten and somehow blew the game. So. They only won five games last year. Should have won six just based on that game. Yeah, and when you add the additional game, I mean, I tell you this, if I had to bet this, force bet with 16 games, I'd go over seven and a half. Oh, strong. Right? What do you do? Yeah. You think, you think they're favorites to have a losing season? You know, I'd... I haven't broken down all the schedules in the last... Well, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, we know you haven't done a lot of work, but what we're saying is... Yeah. Let's get out of that nuance. I guess my question is, would you be anxious to bat? Well, here's what we can do. We'll keep it simple. We know what game's the 17th game, right? Yes. So uh, if you're anxious to bat, you'd lay, you know, 120. You want to lay 120 on the 16 games that we pull out and, uh, you know, that they're going to, uh, I guess the theory is they're not going to win 86. No. So we're saying it's debatable. You might go over or, or it's a fair bet at seven and a half. Out of 16 games. It's probably a good line. Yes. We got a 17th game, right? And who is their 17th game? They're hosting the Lions. Oh. Yeah, best bet. Fez, I tell you this, it seems like when you don't get a pick to start with, they always win. <laughs> you ever notice that, that? That's a strong point. I mean, you're almost like... You're 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 the representative of the of the duct tape shoe guys. Let me now. wait around and maybe maybe tomorrow will be a better. But beach what I'm saying day. is it's not even that because you usually bet it by the time we're done talking. So the only time it takes is to hear me out. 
But like what I'm saying is when I have to really like push it, it's when they almost are like short things after. Like the Phoenix bat, I think you were looking to fade them, right? <laughs> right? Right or wrong? I, I all I thought about Phoenix was in terms of you know, the chance of winning the title. I understand. And I was bearish on Phoenix for the title. But what I'm saying is, literally the day I told you I was making this bet, you were talking about you wanted to fade the Suns, and I get the whole playoff thing, and I'm not sure that's wrong. But, or maybe it was... Um, a, no, I know what it is. The Washington bet for the division. Oh, yes. I was so reluctant but to no, get... you were looking to fade them, and, and now you realize that, like, everyone that knows anything is saying Dallas, Washington... And I get it. The market still is juicy, I think. They're saying Dallas-Washington, 50-50, who's going to win that division? There's a reason that was the first division I started to do the hardcore work on because I've come around. I've paid all the dues. I'm going to pay. Yeah. What do you think, McKenzie? I like it. It reminds me a lot of the Browns over eight and a half pick where it's like, well, the Browns lose every year. Now you are making a good point here. Last year they were a very popular sleeper pick. The Broncos were. This guy learns. And this year they're not. This year they're completely off the radar. That's usually a good sign mm. when you want to bet on a team. You know who else applies to that? Hmm. There was another team. It wasn't Baltimore. I was thinking about this clearly. Oh, Milwaukee Bucks. Like, right. what do we really know? I mean, like, I get it. It's starting to feel like there's merit to the fading of the Bucks, playoff-wise. Yes. But, boy... If you just looked at their record and performance in a vacuum, it feels like the market's downgraded them. In a, it's almost like there's such a visceral reaction to people being wrong, either betting money or the media guys, that no one wants to dip back into that, hmm. which means there's just an artificial depression of interest or, or backing of the team. Yeah, there's still the number two pick in the East versus in Philly's number three, though. But what I'm saying is if you actually look at, and you're right, maybe that market does, if you... <laughs> And maybe the betting market in that case isn't doing as much what I'm saying. But you talk to people, like media guys, no one's talking about the Bucks. No one's picking the Bucks. So maybe it's the market's being a little sharper here. Or maybe if you actually look at how good the Bucks have played, maybe they should be right up there with the favorites. And the fact that they're above the 76ers is partially a sign of that. But should they be that far from the Nets? I don't know. Right? But I do think in general people are disinclined. I mean, you're even like that. You bet a team a couple times, you lose. You don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, it's like putting your hand I know, down. I know what you're saying, but instead of repeating what I'm saying, talk about your own personal feelings well, it's, about it. I bet the Dodgers yesterday in a great bounce-back spot after losing to the low-life Reds. They've and, lost a lot of games since you said they uh, were so the good. Dod- and they? the Dodgers lost again yesterday. And so today I said, you know what? Now they're in an even better spot. They're not going to get swept at home against the low reds. But you know what? I didn't pull the trigger today. And, of course, the Dodgers won because I let yesterday impact me that they lost that game. And I'm not sure that that's wrong because when we're wrong about something, it means, especially if the game doesn't play the way you think, it's like maybe you're missing something. Your assumptions are wrong. But with these season-long things, there's only one rep. So the whole idea, like the Browns, it wasn't the Browns were just bad. The, there was some, one thing, you turned one screw and went to a new coach, and all of a sudden everything changed. Baker looked better. Right? And I think that happens. The phenomenons that affect teams are a lot more mm, profound. No, that's not the right word. They're a lot more interconnected than we think. And that's when a team falls far short, we think, oh, my God, we were way wrong. It could have just been one thing, and it was a domino effect. 
Now, here's the good news. We're going to reevaluate. We're going to do this live until pick 15 because it's just taking a long time. And then I'm going to release it on Twitter, you know, to 32. So we're more than halfway done. We got my best bet in. You co-signing? I'm co-signing. I'm going to make a major bet on this one. I think we're free rolling. And what I mean by that, not that we can't lose, but with the quarterback coming in, because I do think a Trey Lance or a Fields is at least potentially an upgrade. Okay. So Trey Lance it is. Number 10, we just got to decide between cornerbacks for Dallas. Everyone's saying cornerback. Yes, and pretty much everyone or most people are saying Sertain is the better cornerback well, than That's Horn. not the question. What are we handicapping here? Who's better? No. Uh -huh. We're handicapping everything I'm seeing in the betting markets. Now, this is interesting. Well, hold on a second. What are we handicapping? We're handicapping who Dallas is going to select. We don't care who the better cornerback is. Especially with Dallas. Yes. All right, so go ahead. Well, what's interesting about Sertain and this is the one guy deeper in the draft. The first defensive guy you learned his name, so you love this. Go ahead. Well, the fact that I've seen lines at 10 and 10 and a half. At 10, the over is favored. At 10 and a half, the under is a big favorite. There is a really. But even if, they, if, even if it was 50 fit or 45 for certain, that would be the case, right? Yes. 45% chance. Because if, if we assume it's Horn or certain, okay. So let's see what we got here. So the Hintman actually has a pick on the number of cornerbacks. This might give us a flavor of who he thinks is going to go. So let's listen. This is the Hintman, the translucent one. And let me tell you something. He's been batting his balls off in the draft. He's ready. Would you agree with that, Fez? Oh, yes. Let's listen. Best bet over four and a half cornerbacks in the first round, minus 130. I like it all the way up to minus 150. Obviously, we're going to get J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan in the first round. And Greg Newsom and Caleb Farley are likely first-rounders as well. Multiple other corners, such as Asante Samuel Jr., Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, and Kevin Joseph, have a shot at being our fifth corner. And what really helps us is that you can make an argument that every single team picking 20 through 32, aside from Baltimore, needs cornerback help. I think we get five Outside chance, maybe even six first round corners. Best bet over four and a half corners, minus 130. Okay. Locks to go, as he said, Horn and Sertain. That's the two. Likely Newsom, Farley, possible. Asante Samuel Jr., Stokes, Joseph. Okay. I'll have a shot at being the fifth corner, and that's the key with the over under four and a half. What's the vig on that, Mackenzie? You'll check that out. Current, Sorry, one second. Current number. Um, wow, that's interesting. All right, good stuff from the Hemi. I like that. You like that, Fez? I'm indifferent, and the only reason is because Farley is having all kinds of re very recent medical concerns where he is really falling down in terms of his projection. Still supposed to go late in the first round. No longer a lock to go in the first round. Where's your head at on your offensive versus defensive bet? I think 18 half's a good number. <laughs> okay. Let's look at what the experts say. You ready, Tally? Certain. 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 Interesting. I don't know what to do. Oh, now, number, <laughs> number 10 on the consensus, Certain. It's Certain. Number 10. Number 11 from the New York Giants. Let's start with the consensus. Devontae Smith, 
23%. That's the most common. Okay, I kind of like that, my gut feeling, because he could have went earlier. There's going to be a sense of value here. Though they did get the Lions receiver. Huh. Okay, here comes our experts. Pay, Smith again. Trey Lance is gone for us. Smith again. And as we have in our database, the Georgia Edge Rusher that has OJ in his initials. Give a shot at that name, Mackenzie. One sec. Did you, what was the VIG on that cornerback bet? Minus 150. Over to the over. So he's laying the lumber. Aziz Adulari. That sounds like it could be. <laughs> okay. The ESPN mock has Waddle. We've taken him. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Smith is our guy. So let's, I'm not saying for sure yet, but let's just take one more. So what's the numbers? What's Smith's over and under, Fez? It's 12. Okay. So we're saying him going at 11 would be 50-50. So that doesn't, that's really saying that, that we're in the right territory for him. We're in the right territory. The, the concern is that the narrative out there is Smith weighs 166 well, pounds. Well, everyone understands yes. that. But like, you would say that if he was 19. So, like, like it's that's built in. Like what's new? Well, I just every day that goes by, Smith falls a little further in terms of his projection. So I'm uh, seeing. So you're saying his trend line is down. That's okay. right. That's interesting. So do you have his over under like a week ago? What was it? Second. It was eleven and a half. Flat. He was eleven and a half flat. Now now eleven and a half. The over is minus one sixty five. All right. So you're saying markets moving where this would be early for him. That's right. But our experts are that way. All right, so now we got to go to the media, guys. And when we have to do that, that means we're struggling. And you brought up a good point. The Giants just got Galladay. So. But, that, but that's been the case for months, right? Well, so I'm not handicapping. I'm handicapping the info. Right. I know you think you can handicap everything somehow. I don't know. Okay. Now, this is interesting. Jeremiah has the Patriots trading up. But we got the quarterbacks gone, so. Okay. Schrager who I heard him on Simmons and had some interesting stuff on the draft. I used to do stuff uh, probably six, seven years ago when he was starting. He was a go-getter. Um, 11, J.C. Horn, cornerback. Now, that's interesting. That's Schrager. Let's see what he says here. Don't be shocked if the Giants go corner. Yes, they have Jackson and Bradbury, but you can never have enough top-level QB. Okay, well. Horn is viewed as just that. Giants fans may bristle. Certain or Horn. It doesn't seem like that's info-based. Well, let's see how we're doing with our Evan Silva. So he had Justin Fields like us. Sewell like us. He has Trey Lance like us. And Certain like... Now, hold on a second. I mean, I can't... I mean, but... Hey, listen. The fact we were doing this live is the best proof we can have. Oh, my gosh, he's got Slater next. Now, no one else has Slater, so we can't go with Slater because then we don't have any. If we're right, it doesn't even matter. You know, it's anymore. interesting. We haven't even mentioned Slater, and his over-under is 10. Oh, God. Now, he has Devontae Smith going next to Philly. All right. Huh. I don't know. Here's what I'm going to do. We don't – we're going to – take a five-minute break 
and come back with the answer. If we had a commercial, we'd do that now, but we don't. So, time shift. We're back, and we got a decision. See how to do that fast? Yes. We are going the New York Giants with the 11th pick in the NFL draft take from Michigan. He smells. Some guy named Pay. This was a tough call, and we don't think there's any real good decision here. What we've noticed is there's a lot of receivers being selected, but a lot of them's got Waddle. Now, are you taking the third receiver when you're only number 11? It feels like you're slim pickings at that case, meaning you're number 11, but you're taking the third best at a position. You add in that they just got a receiver they paid big money for, now, I also think Slater would be a good one, but there's more – Slater's going for us at number 12. Or oh, check that. I'm sorry. Slater's going for us at 13 for the Chargers. So that's locked in, and there's more consensus for that. So in a weird way, I think Slater has a better chance than pay, but I think Slater, his marginal difference at 13 is even better. So we can only pick one. And so really the only decision – now that we've got Slater taken care of, was the Heisman winner Smith. And my thought was, well, geez, Heisman, New York City, maybe they're going to like that. I don't know. I think Judge, I think they've done a lot for Daniel Jones. And there's two people that are not, you know, to me, when I see Albright, who's really respected, has pay. And then Albert Breer. Now, listen. If there's anyone that's got an information one, maybe, you know, it feels like Breer might know something because it does feel early. Because pays over under is what? 16 and a half. So it's a little early. And also, I think the following case, the fact that our draft has no defensive players really yet. I mean, I guess Sertan, right? Yes. They're getting the second best defensive player in theory right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And since that's their need, they probably feel pretty good about it. Linebacker, but the, apparently the Giants never pick a linebacker. I just keep hearing that. So, you know, the Penn State guy. And I think there's the last point I'll make. Guys that are falling tend to keep falling. And Smith is falling. Right, Steve? Yes. So if Smith was actually favored to go before Waddle, and then all the money just poured in I, on but Waddle against Smith. more than that, the over-under is moving. Right, moving with 10.5 in some places and 11.5. Now I'm seeing some 12.5s popping up even. And I just, yeah, I don't like, this is my least favorite pick so far, but we are making it official from Michigan. Is it pay? That's how you say it? I'm not sure. Mackenzie, you haven't done your work on this yet? Mackenzie, what are you hearing? Quitty pay. Okay. Sounds like a cartoon character. So we got that locked in. At 12, corn. Simple enough. Slater, 13. Now, 14 and 15. In our mock, all the quarterbacks are gone, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I think 15 is going to be easy. But we'll look at both. I think it's Penn State linebacker. Patriots don't care about those rumors. All right. So let's do a read, or let's see what the consensus says. By the way, that consensus... At Smith, but I think it's the same rationale. They're getting it, they're getting it wrong. Okay, 
and it's only 23%. Let's see what it was two weeks ago. I bet it was like 28 or 29. If he's dropping, I'm going to like that. He had Smith at 21, so it went up just a little bit, but it's still in the same range. Okay, at 13, the consensus at 38% says Derisaw, if that's the way you say it. Oh, I'm sorry, that was for um, 13 at the Chargers. Where do they have Slater? Is Slater anywhere? It's interesting. You could have a situation where the consensus doesn't, yeah. Oh, no, they had Slater going eighth. Wow. Okay. Hmm. And for eighth for us, we want a Sewell. Okay, well, they're going to take Sewell over Slater, so that makes That actually affirms our point. Right? They're going to take a tackle, but the better one's available. And that whole Slater's batter kind of faded, right? I mean, it's moved back to... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But still the clear-cut second-best O-lineman. Mm -hmm. Big separation mm -hmm. after him. All right. So, consensus says Tucker. Inside. Oh, wait. What is he? I-O-L. Oh, what is he? Offensive lineman? What is Tucker? Yeah, he's an alignment, right? The Vera Tucker. Yeah, Vera Tucker, from the big guy from USC. The big guy that plays the line, exactly. He can play any <laughs> position on the line. Okay. I don't think – is there a run on tackles? That's the question. Okay. Now, we've got our – what does the market say, Fez? Meaning, like, who's late, right? Who hasn't been picked that should be at 14 now? All right. So, everyone is lined higher. Yeah. Go ahead. So, at 16 is Derisaw. All right. Yeah. So, Derisaw kind of lines up here because the theory is – if, if the consensus says Tucker, it's because Darisol, you know, is it says line, right? So the question is, who's supposed to go first, Tucker or Darisol? And, and the Vera Tucker, 16 and a half. So they're right next to each other. Give me the exact number, though. 16 for Darisol, 16 and a half for Vera Tucker. All right. So Darisol is supposed to go sooner by a smidge, right? Yes. Okay. Now we're going to look at the consensus. Oh, no, check that. This is the list of experts. So 14, Vera Tucker. You're going to tally this, Steve? Yeah. Okay, we got Phillips and Phillips again, Derisau again, and Phillips again. I tell you, Fez, we're trending up with Phillips because it feels like he's surging. How has that number moved? So I saw 21 and a half mm -hmm. uh, over the so weekend. we bet it at 21 and a half. You alerted me. You're like, Fez. Yeah, I got it. Go ahead. Yeah, so I've. Down to 18 and a half, and I even saw some 17 and a halves today. Okay, so we're in range here because the theory is if Smith's dropping and he keeps going, maybe the edge rusher for Miami, Phillips, keeps going. You know something? I had an I had a epiphany kind of or an inspiration. I think we made a bet, like we said, on the Miami edge storming up. What's our theory? Our theory is that when a trend line starts, it goes for it's like a long drive. It runs further than you think. And I also think this, this is the key. Zimmer hates having had a bad defense. He doesn't, he's gonna put his resources to fix the problems on defense. I think we go with the Miami guy, Steve. Phillips at number 14. Phillips at 14. And you know something? Mackenzie, do me a favor. Read our top 10 real quick. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Kyle Pitts at four, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Justin Fields, Panay Swell, Trey who? Lance, who? Sewell. Okay. Trey Lance at nine, Patrick Sertain. All right, whoa, whoa. Here's the thing, Steve. We're talking trends. We're talking it's going in one direction or the other. 
Lance is going up, and 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 field or Fields is going down. Yes. Why? What's the current over under for him? So current over under for Fields right now is seven and a half under minus one fifty. Okay. So Fields Before, is favored to go yeah. under that, but Lance is lower at six and a half and his under minus one eighty five. And now the question is, how much of that has to do with the three? You know, the chances of the three. Mm. But there is a trend line here. There's a trend line here, and there's a chance that the Lions keep that pick and pick a quarterback. And wouldn't that be the perfect combination, Goff? who's on his last legs or whatever or has a low ceiling. But then you think about it, if you have the biggest upside project quarterback, isn't that part of a rebuild? Yes. It's like you get a free roll, meaning not a free roll, but if he ends up being the quarterback of your future, you got it covered. If he's not, you're going to find out in the first two years of practice and you'll be ready to draft another one. Yep. Let's flip that. We're going to put Fields at nine, Trey Lance at seven. Trey Lance at seven, got it. And now, fifteen, we. I just think because it's it's Belichick linebacker, Penn State linebacker Parsons. All right, we got the top fifteen. Read that. Give me the the spot, the team, and the pick. Number one, Jacksonville Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence. Mackenzie, you don't have to enunciate like extended. Just say it. Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> Jets, Zach Wilson. 49ers, Mac Jones. Atlanta Falcons, number four, Kyle Pitts. Bengals, number five, Chase, Jamar Chase. Miami Dolphins at six, Waddle. Detroit Lions at seven, Trey Lance. Carolina Panthers at eight, Panay Sewell. Denver Broncos at nine, taking Justin Fields. Dallas Cowboys at 10, Patrick Sertan. New York Giants at 11, Quiddy Pay. Philadelphia Eagles taking the corner, J.C. Horn. The Chargers at number 13 take the tackle Slater. Minnesota Vikings take Jalen Phillips. And the New England Patriots at 15 take Micah Parsons. Book it. All right, so Fez, the question is, what other bets come from that? We think there's still value with Miami. Uh, the Miami edge rusher. Yeah, Phillips going, going before. under 18 and a half, right? Before 18 and a half. I think that that's solid. Even though we missed the 21 and a half, I think it's well, still strong. Well, we didn't strong. miss the 21 and a half. Yes, the, the people who's not living this are missing it. But, again, I think in illiquid markets like this, sometimes the lines are just way wrong. I and, agree. And I'm more inclined to bet a, a, a later number. Um, what else? You know, I think Horn to go under 13 and a half is strong. Oh, no, that's interesting because what, no, what's the over-under on that? Anywhere from 12 and a half to 13 and a half, right? And the VIG. Uh, the VIG at 13 and a half is like minus 220. Mm -hmm. At 12 and a half is minus ten. Okay, so that doesn't make any sense because do we think 13 is going to pick a cornerback? No, the Chargers we think is going to take an old line. So why would so that... go use the 12 and a half under 12 and a half? Yeah, but why would the market say that? I think they just look at that one extra slot. No, they, they don't. They're not that dumb. Mm -hmm. I know you think everyone's dumb. I mean, under that theory, isn't the under the lower number at even money like a great bet? Yes. Then why aren't we betting it? We should be betting it. Do you want me to pre-record you saying that? I mean, what I'm saying is, what did you miss? I mean, like, what, what's been the reevaluation? All right, so the, let's just say, let's go through and say where this will be our final bet here, final thing. And we got coming up from Uncle Dave's got something in baseball. All right, let's say yay or nay is it under 12 and a half, and we're going to go with Horn. So it's yay in the NFL database. So tally this. Horn goes 12 in the consensus, so yay. 
we can't necessarily use the market price, but we can by looking at the alternative number and saying it seems mispriced. Now we're looking at the experts. Horn goes 12 from one, so yay. Horn goes 16 in the other, nay. Horn goes 12 and one, yay. Horn goes, holy cow, where is he here? Oh, eight in Walters football, yay. Horn goes 16, that's nay. Yet, as the Russians say. Uh, Albert Breer, we're just going to bundle everyone. Horn at 12, yay. Albright. Horn at 12, yay. Jeremiah. Horn at 10, yay. Seems like the, I mean, it seems like the whole certain thing looks good in some ways, but, you know, for the Cowboys, but it seems like Horn's gaining on him, a minimum. All right, we got it now. I mean, this is... I mean, Seven to two. Yeah, and there's a couple more here. I just don't care that much to do it. I like this. So you want to check that right now and let's get get it down? Because, I mean, I like, I, you know, yeah. give me a dime on it. On it. All right, boys, let's hear what Uncle Dave has to say. I love him bet the Brewers plus 120 to win the NL Central. I've talked about the draft ad nauseum, as everybody else has. There's nothing I can add at this point that will be relevant tomorrow. So I'm throwing a curve here. The Brewers have one thing nobody else in the division has, and that's pitching. They've got arguably the best closer in baseball with Hayter. Two starters in the top six for NL Cy Young odds with Woodruff and Burns. They're in first place in the half in 22 games without having Kane or the former NL MVP, Kristen Yelich. Already 9-3 on the road. And this is all with the second lowest batting average in baseball, which has to regress to the mean. Look, they're a small market team. They won this division in 2018, finished just two games out in 19. They're a bigger market team. People will be talking about World Series potential. Now, that may be a stretch with the Dodgers' talent, but winning the division is not. So I bet the Milwaukee Brewers plus 120 to win the NL Central. Okay, so think about what you got here. A baseball best bet from Uncle Dave to some call him Diamond Dave. Also, you can follow him on Twitter, at Dave underscore Esler. Now that we're talking Twitter, I'm going to have 16 through 32 up written form at RJ in Vegas. RJ in Vegas. It's a good follow. I don't overtweet. We've got my, I love it, over under on Denver over in the NFL over seven and a half flat. Fez had a best bet. Even that was okay. What was that one, Fez? Oh, oh you haven't given that yet, have you? I have not. So it's, it's uh, Darisal. Oh, off- let's slow down. No, let's do it now. Come on, baby, $80,000. <laughs> offensive tackle, Virginia Tech, to go over 15 half, so to not go in the top 15. Oh, so when we were thinking about Darisal, and you were saying, I don't, I don't really like him. <laughs> I don't know. You still like that? Oh, I do. And – Basically, I think what's happened is that initially Vera Tucker was considered to be inferior. Oh, I, I tend to agree with you. It seems like then the Vera – because that's what threw me is Derisau seemed to be the chalk there. But then as we look deeper, there's a lot of Vera Tucker. So it seems like if Vera Tucker goes first, you win for sure. Exactly. So it's that support. And you could even win if he doesn't go first. Yeah. So if you told me that Derisau goes before Vera Tucker, I'm not excited. You don't like about... the bet, but you're probably still got a 35 percent. Yeah, I'm still alive. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So say it one more time. So we're going to go uh, Virginia Tech offensive line Derisau to go over 15 so that's and a half. Later. Later than 15 and a half. And it's what's the vic? 
Vegas minus a dollar ten. All right. So what do you think, Mackenzie? We got we wrapped it. I think we got it. You got any bets that we can fade? <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, I don't know how the market reacts the way that. When's the last time you made a bet with me, for example, that the market hasn't moved like drastically within 20 minutes? Maybe this that's an exaggeration. Does not recall. I mean, let's be honest. You bet me again with your cousin, and I said, I'm like, "Listen, maybe you're right." It's funny. Trey Lance is surging, but his odds are getting worse to be the third pick. Right. <laughs> Somehow you found the one spot Trey Lance wasn't becoming better. Right, and then because we said, bet on air. I what did I give you? Plus one ten. Plus two fifty. And what's the current market? Twenty four. Plus three fifty. About. <laughs> that's about par for the course. <laughs> yeah. Phoenix Suns, baby. What, what's the score? Up eight with 20 seconds. Let's go. Yo, Woo! I got to tell you something. I don't talk numbers all the time. Let's just say that if the Suns win, I might get a new car. Because I I mean, I took off the rubber band at a 12 to 1, Fez. <laughs> right or wrong? Oh, absolutely. And plus, I'm getting 10% of your win. This was, this was just handed to you. So what do you think our odds are if we win this? I guess we're good here. 70%. I think it's better than that, isn't it? Well, I guess it doesn't help us on the tiebreaker. Up two games, no tiebreaker. Yeah. But this was a really bad spot for the Suns. They had that five-game road trip back east, and now they come home in that first game back. I understand they're going to be max motivated, but that was still a lot of travel fatigue. And you know what? This could actually send the Clippers in their tails back. Oh, I I I think that's a strong point. I hope they have psychological problems from this. You know what? I don't care. We might. No, this is a really strong. I'm being serious. I'm I'm being serious because it's a really strong point. How much I don't care. You sound like a f***ing hippie. Like, I don't care. It's the opposite. Go ahead. I think it's really strong that the Clippers could say, you know what? It, it, would, take a, it. it would take a Herculean. Fuck it. It would take a Herculean <laughs> effort. You know what? We're Fuck the Suns. We're better uh, than enough, them. We'll get enough, them in the playoffs. Enough, enough. We'll get them in the playoffs. One curse is enough. The second is, is gratuitous. But I'll tell you something, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest. This might be the most excited I've been about one game in a long time. Because I don't think I've had this much riding kind of on one game. Like, it's not on it totally. I tell you, think I mean, about how it. many cars have you bought in your life? Like a couple, right? Well, that, that just means I'm freaking cheap is all that means. <laughs> uh, you know, with cars, I don't like to drive. So what's the point? I did have that 87 Camaro for 25 years. If you're going to have a car for 25 years, it should be a Camaro. <laughs> I mean, you know, between 16 and, you know, whatever, 25, I guess, was it 40? Yeah, well... <laughs> Well, let's just say this. I rode it as my main car for 20 years. For five years, it kind of sat around. But I had a personal affection. I mean, you're in a car for 20 years. You have an affection for it. Did you name her? No. All right, listen. A little bit of joy coming through. We'll be back next week. I actually enjoyed this. We'll do this. We might do this actually like maybe three times, but we'll be a little better prepared because some of it was fumbling around. Um, Not too much. But it would be interesting to see the trend lines. And I'll tell you this, if you don't like the draft, and I like it more now because the betting's increased, I think it's a great way to get to know these players a little bit. And just right, if you know them a little earlier, then they're a rookie, and then by the second, you know, it feels like if you're oblivious to the draft, it's harder to catch up. It's almost like Malinsky used to talk about if you miss a year, um... So what are you saying, Fez? You can just tell us we're making this better. Yeah, you're in on Horn. All right, so under twelve and a half minus fifteen. Yes, this seems like a good bet, doesn't it? It does. Hard to find him. Plus, it feels like the trend line 
Oh, you want, an, you want some applause for your... <laughs> All right, Steve Fezzik got me off the dime. See you next week. <laughs>